Hi everyone, Lee here. Just a quick disclaimer slash update before today's episode. Uh, you may notice the audio quality on my part of the pod is not great. Uh, it appears that my USB mic wasn't getting picked up for some reason. So you've got the laptop mic. So it's not quite as good. You can still make it out. That'll be sorted for next week's episode. I do apologize for that. Uh, also, uh, this was recorded before Simo's press conference. So we didn't know that Jack Armour is not suspended for this weekend's game, which is great news. And obviously Joe Garner is going to be fit as well, which is, is fantastic stuff as well. So just a quick couple of disclaimers there for you. Hopefully normal service will resume next week. Cheers. Hi, I'm Paul Simpson from the Football Club. Welcome to the Brunton Bugle. Here we come, blue and white, and we're looking good. You'll be in for a fight, and we fight pretty good. Getting goals is our job, and we get goals good. Looking good, we are Carlisle United. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Brunton Bugle. The number one place to get your carrot fix in the podcast world. I'm Lee Rooney. And I might do. An unbeaten weekend for United. Just kidding. It's a horror show in Reading as the Royals put five past the Blues. We look back on that heavy defeat in Berkshire last week before looking ahead to this weekend's trip to the seaside for the Illuminations in Blackpool. Well, it's a good job there are a few more things to look forward to in Blackpool at the moment, Mike, for us, because... On the pitch, it, it's not looking that great right now, is it? I think it's fair to say. No, but it's Pete Carlisle United, isn't it? That we sort of put up a decent spirited display against Charlton that mm-hmm. you could argue we could have nicked and then just fall apart against. No disrespect to Reading, but a lesser side. Um, I, I mean, I think that's just factual, isn't it? That they're just mm. not as good a side as Charlton, and they didn't mm. look as good a side as Charlton even in that game, which is, I think, the thing that frustrates us the most, really. You know, it's. It, it just was a case of a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show, almost. Not maybe not quite to the same extent you normally think with that, but yeah, it, it wasn't great viewing. I think. It's but fair to say. if anything, though, I'm actually, and this might sound daft, but I'm actually maybe a bit grateful that we lost five-one than a scrappy one-nil defeat because it's mm. a real wake-up call. I think if we if we'd lost one-nil, we'd maybe just carry on as usual. But five-one, we we need to sort it out, basically. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right, Mike. Um, it, it, it's a fair point. That I think a few people have said that. Um, I, I think they were quite aware already, to be honest, weren't they? Really, it just showed, like I said, it just shows how thin the squad is mm. at the moment, and it, it, the, the sprinklings of quality in there, but the, the, just not enough depth. And there's a few players who just haven't made the step up, and that's just a simple fact of, of the way it is. Um, yeah, and, and there's not enough in, in the way of a plan B when things aren't going right. No, when we last season we had those options, didn't we? Off the bench, we could tweak mm. things around in terms of you know pushing Melish into midfield, and we're just not getting that option at the moment because, or simply because we're playing with four at the back, so it doesn't really give us the chance. To to do it does it so so there mm. you go um well let, let's get into them we've got a few bits to cover uh this week obviously we'll have the news coming up in a second then obviously looking back on the reading game and looking ahead to blackpool away and uh, including a uh, chat with an opposition pod as usual um before that just to remind you this season once again the pod is being sponsored by the car united supporters club london branch for the third season in a row we really appreciate the spot they give us it's fantastic in terms of helping us with the hosting for the pod so you guys can access it on as many different uh, platforms as possible um yes the london branch do some fantastic stuff for the club in terms of fundraising and uh, in terms of i think they bought some equipment recently for the uh medical department i think they've done that a couple of times in recent seasons and um, they, they arrange a lot of stuff in terms of away games welfare xl supporters so travel 
and tickets and stuff like that. Um, if you want to find out more about them, you can go to the website carlolondonbunch.org and you can join them wherever you're from in the world. If you're in Jacksonville, Florida, as we keep saying, you can join them from there. If you're in Timbuktu, you can do it from there. Um, any, any other places, Mike, you want to throw out there? Nauru, which is the most obese country in the world. Thanks for that. that, that that's <laughs> a great one, that one. There you go. Um, yes, right. So uh, let, let, let's look ahead to, uh, well, sorry, let's, let's look at back at the news, should I say, first. Not a huge amount to cover, just a few little bits in there. Um, first up, a couple of the main bits. Uh, United have finally received their punishment for the pitch invasion after the game against Bradford City in the playoffs, Mike. And it's a, it's a fine, but probably not as big a fine as we expected, maybe, for this. Yeah, uh, it's one of them. I've seen a few people saying, oh, are they fining every club that has had a pitch invasion during the playoffs, but we'd had a few other things before the playoffs that we'd had talons off for. So, and yeah. Think, to be fair, Sheffield Wednesday, I think, have been fined. I think, or maybe Barnsley or someone. I'm sure someone else was fined as well. And mm. their fine was actually bigger than ours. I think, mm. I've seen a couple of clubs fined around about the 30k mark, if I remember right. Mm. And we've, the fine we've got is £5,000, of which 2000 has been suspended. So it's actually a £3,000 fine unless something else happens, obviously, in the future, mm. which in case it will automatically trigger that extra 2000 Um the, the official report on it is actually quite interesting reading. They do say United actually put a lot of prep into trying to avoid things, whilst they didn't do quite enough. But they also sort of note that the pitch invasion was generally, uh, you know, a, a well, in, you know, ten, a good, good intentions on word, you know, but well, um, what, what's the fact, good-natured. Mm. Uh, pitch invasion wasn't it really which which it was to be fair there wasn't any bother given to the Bradford players and just a bit of gentle joshing with the Bradford fans really wasn't it so um, well I think some of the Bradford fans were claiming things were thrown in their end weren't they but, I uh, think that was during the game rather than <laughs> the oh that's alright then that's fine yeah. it's fine completely acceptable <laughs> then isn't it really but there you go no but uh, yeah so so there you go uh, £3,000 fine effectively with 2000 more suspended um, and yeah, just got to make sure it'll be air vessels in the future, which generally we have this season. There's not really been too much bother, so it's it's been yeah. good so but, far. But there hasn't been much in the way of last minute winners and this and that and the other no. that normally no. makes people run on the pitch and what have you. No, that that's very true indeed, very true. Um, little bit of news in terms of uh, the Sports Trust, Mike. Um, they had their AGM the other week. Um, where four new directors were voted onto the board, and they all four are new. In fact, there was. Two uh, existing directors were up for re-election, um, but also there was a space left, I think, by Frank Beatty's resignation, and Malcolm Nugent uh, chose to retire, didn't he, I think, uh, at the end of his uh, latest spell as director. Uh, on, sorry, on the um, director, uh, board member, I should say, on the uh, kiosk board. Uh, both um, Nigel Davidson and Carol Mitchell, the existing directors, they failed to get re-elected. Um, alongside uh, Richard Mullen, who also stood for the board, and uh, Jared Gornall. Uh, neither of those two made it on. And the four that made it on were Martin Robson, Claire Winder, um, Mike Devonlit... Den- I got his name wrong. Denevelis. Denevelis, thank you. I was about to go and look it up there. Uh, I apologise, Mike. I'm friends with him on Facebook. I should really know better, shouldn't I? Mike Denevelis and... Um, who have I missed up? Ross Parkinson. Ross Parkinson. God, <laughs> He's going to be fuming with you for forgetting like, that. Oh dear God! Right. Anyway, so yeah, those four minutes of the ball. Congratulations to all four of them. Um, you know, I'm sure they're all going to do great jobs in terms of um, 
work with kiosk and kiosk have done some great things over the years and you know all the best to nigel and carol for the work they've done uh, down the years as well with kiosk um there yeah. also been some changes on the board hasn't there because nigel was the 1921 board representative for the sports trust wasn't he mm-hmm. um billy uh, sorry uh, um billy atkinson is the uh, direct on the um, holdings board, isn't he? He obviously still is a member of the kiosk board and he retains his place on the uh, holdings board. So stepping up to take the role as fan director is Matt Spooner. He's taken on the role with Dave Noble as the alternative. So um, well done to both of them. And uh, one of our own parish is now the chair of the trust, isn't he? Mr. Mm-hmm. McLennan himself, Dan McLennan. Congratulations, Dan. He's been voted to be the uh, the new chair of the trust as Matt has stepped down for that role so he can take on the fan director role. Um, and uh, the vice chair is Claire, Claire Winder, one of the uh, new members. So uh, fantastic stuff all around to all those guys. And uh, it's an exciting time, isn't it, for the trust? You know, over 1,200 members now, which, I mean, I, I've seen a few people. I, mean, I have to mention this in the, the pod now. Sort of decrying a little bit the, the the election, the AGM stuff, and saying, oh, only 480 voted on it. You know, it's a terrible turnout. It's a hell of a lot of a higher turnout than previous years. It, it's much higher than previous years. I mean, in some of the previous years, the, the turnout was around about 15, 16%, maybe, if that. Mm. This is a turnout of four, just over 40%, I think. Mm. That's more than the turnout was for the Cumberland election. Mm. At the late, the, the brand new Cumberland Council last year. Mm had less people turning out in yeah. terms of the percentage for that. And that's for local politics. That's, you know, things mm. that really genuinely do matter. I know to a lot of people, kiosk on matter, but, you know, it is nonsense to suggest. And to, considering as well that the membership numbers have pretty much trebled in the last few years as well, mm. I, I think some people just need to wind the necks in a little bit on this kind of thing, just, just yeah. because maybe the people they wanted it didn't get in or whatever. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I, th- I think Mike Delavella said on uh, Radio Cumbria the other day that, because he was on the board a few years mm. ago and he's been off it since, but I think yeah. he said that the last time he got on, he, he got about 40 votes and then yeah. this time he got over 200. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah. And hopefully, you know, and they've all talked about growing the trust membership. Um because it has, like you said before, it's, it's it's trebled, and if we can get it, you know, it's it's about what twelve hundred now. It's just um, over twelve hundred, yeah. Yeah, about um, about one thousand were eligible to vote because there's obviously there's family members in you know, the kids yeah. who are under eighteen who can't vote. Now, yeah, so basically about four hundred odd voted, which you know, it's a great turnout really when you think about it. Yeah, and if we can keep on growing the the membership, because. 1,200 as a percentage of match attendant fans isn't a lot, but, you know... It's better than it's, it was. <laughs> yeah, it, it is better than it was, and hopefully we can keep growing. And I remember when uh, Dan was trying to get on, he sort of said that they were going to aim for 1,000, and a few people Stopped. thought that was unre- yeah, thought that was unrealistic. Un- unrealistic. So now 2,000, you know, why not? Yeah, I mean, look, the things are going great off the pitch as well in terms of what the... the- Pyatics are trying to do. There's every chance you, you get involved in sports trust, you can influence what happens because they are listening mm. to them. There's no mm. doubt about that. They've played a big role in terms of getting this takeover done. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's really good to see. And yeah, like I said, good luck to all the guys involved in that. Um, a couple of just a few of a little bit of uh, news to fit in before we go into the reading review, review, putting off as long as we can. Um, Fleetwood tickets uh, are on sale. And by the time you listen to this, they probably will have sold out. I thought there was only maybe a couple of dozen left i think i think the problem with this one is being that i think because we only had 1200 tickets i think a lot of people thought they were gonna 
sell out pretty much on the mm. first day, didn't they? So a lot of people just didn't bother because we've got 3,400 season ticket holders now, I think, something like mm. that. So I think a lot of those people are like, oh, well, you know, what, what's, what's the point in, in doing that? So yeah, I think like most um, most fans were expecting they were going to sell out on that first day. And as a result, they haven't. So there's been a few left over until now. So it, look, if we'd had about 2,000 plus tickets, I think we'd have sold them out probably quicker, bizarrely, in a, in a mm. weird roundabout way. Um, it's one that a lot of our fans still haven't been to because it's yeah. the first time we've ever played Fleetwood away in the league. I know we've played them in some cups a couple of times, but yeah. they're Tuesday nights and this and that and the other. Um, so yeah, hopefully uh, we should sell that out quite easily. Yeah, but th- th- those last few will go eventually. It's just mm. it's just a case of, I think I think from while we're recording today, I think they're actually on sale to general sale now possibly so the club have an update it may well be that they've sold out and they've just said nothing but um mm. but there you go um also tickets for the Wigan away game have gone on sale last update that was a couple of days ago and that was 2400 sold already because they've just gone on general sale from the start we've got 4000 tickets for that one so I'm pretty sure it's going to be another huge following for the Blues for that game over Christmas just a shame yeah. it's on a Friday night isn't it really just mm. a bit of a, a killer that one um and uh, finally, United have been drawn against Penrith in the Fred Conway Cumberland Cup next round for the quarterfinals at this stage. So that's a nice little game for those two clubs. Um, right, we've put it off, Mike. Let's get into it. Oh, Reading 5, Carla United 1. It, it, just, it just felt miserable after this one, didn't it? And I know a lot of people went down midweek for a hell of a long journey to make, you know, first trip to Reading's new ground for a lot of our fans and I say Reading's new guy, it's what, nearly 20 years old now, isn't it, I think? Um, mm. And, yeah, there was just that, I think at half-time, the sinking feeling of, like, we're going to struggle to get back into this one just because the options weren't there off the bench. And, as you said, maybe a little bit of an eye-opener for the Piatics in terms of what work needs to be done in January. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think some of the players that, well, I'm not going to say didn't get on, but maybe didn't come on sooner, I think. If you're not coming on sooner in a game like that when it's not going our way, it doesn't look good for you. No. No, it's... it's I'd, I'd be a little bit concerned if I'm not, you know, getting the game time I'd expect from from that. I mean, yeah, you're struggling to get in the game and Dan Butterworth's not coming on to the 72nd minute for, for an instance. Mm. And you're saying that it's, it's not great. And, you know, and especially as well, you know, um, Jack Robinson, who... By all accounts, had a good game. If Simo sort of shoehorning a second left back onto the pit pitch and playing him higher up, yeah. rather than play say start say an Edmondson in his position up front, again it it doesn't look good, does it? No, no, that that'd be a concern for me if I did Edmondson. So we'll talk about him in a little minute because um, I think he actually played fairly well when he came on this game. Mm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, let, let's talk about the the lineup. Robinson, were you surprised to see him starting? Obviously, he was one of two changes in who came in. He came in for Corey Whelan, who had a pretty decent game against Charlton centre back. Um, in place of uh, him and Joe Garner came in in place of Luke Plange after his suspension was completed. Were you a little bit surprised with Robinson's inclusion? Yeah, definitely. I think it's his first start in the league. For us. This season, definitely. I think he started a couple last season, possibly. If I remember rightly. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Sutton away. I must seem to start he's... most last season. I think Sutton away, I'm pretty sure. Ah, yeah, Sutton away, I think you're right, yeah. I'll double-check that while we're talking, but yeah. Yeah, but you're quite surprised with that one then. Yeah, definitely. Um, But 
and, and by all accounts, he, he had a decent game um, and maybe put his case forward because Jack Armour hasn't been at the heights that we know he can be in, in some mm. games. So it's nice to know that we have an option that can fill in. Well, just check there. And yeah, his first league start this season, he did start one last season, which was the yeah. second game. So, so there you go. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one for Jack, isn't it? You know, it's weird because he's, he's he's pretty much the same age as Jack Armour, mm. but he's obviously not got the same level of experience that Jack has. You know, Jack's mm. got three full seasons of playing football with us. Mm. You know, so it, it's a bit more of a challenge for him to sort of force his way in. Um, but yeah, he's got to take these chances, and he's going to have a big chance in the next game because as we'll get onto later, Jack Armour suspended now because he got his fifth booking of the season in the mm. last game that the the bookings count annoyingly. But um, mm. yeah, so. It's a frustrating one, that one, but interesting to see how he gets on. The game itself, early on, I thought it was quite a tight game and actually, you know, causing a few problems for them on the break. And either side, it was a bit more like a basketball match, wasn't it? For those opening 20 minutes or so, both sides having a good go at each other. Then Joe Garner gets an injury. Um, We'll talk a bit more about that in a minute because it was a bit of a blow, but that. Took a little bit of the window out of our sails. Luke Plange comes on, doesn't quite get into the flow of the game straight away. And then up the other end, um, it's a sloppy goal to concede the first one, isn't it? Um, it's a Sam Lavelle own goal. Dorset does fairly well for um, Reading on the left. Manages to dig out a cross. There's no one in the six-yard box at all, and Holy's coming mm. to claim it. And Lavelle sticks a leg out. And if you're going to do that, you've got to make sure you're putting it behind. And mm. he puts it into the back of the net. And I've seen a few people criticise Holy for this one. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I personally don't think he's at fault for this goal. No, but I mean, people have said Holy should have shouted and said it was his. It all happened way too quickly to, yeah. to do that. Um, and, you know, I think he thought if Lavelle was going to get there, I don't think he thought he was going to knock it into the back of his, his net. Because uh, no. it wasn't a particularly uh, whipped cross. No. Um, but, it was hard yeah. and low, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, some people would say, you know, it's, it's lucky, it's unlucky, whatever. But this is what we need to do. We need to get the ball into those areas and put it into that yeah, yeah. danger zone. Yeah, and that de- then things happen for you. You know, you make your own luck with things like that. No, absolutely. You do, we, we don't do that often enough, to be honest. And. Yeah, it's it, that was a a real frustrating one. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think Holy's at fault at all for the goal. I, I feel like for me, Lavelle maybe needs to just be a little bit more of aware, aware of his surroundings on that one and, and and what's around him. A quick look behind would show that there's no one really there. And Holy's in a good position to claim it, but it it is a sort of blink of the eye hit the moment thing, isn't it? He's, he's got to make a split second decision. And as it is, he, he didn't make the right one. Um, quick response, though. Um, up the other end. Nice little passing move. Ball comes to Drac Robinson on the left. It does take a slight nick off a defender. Not a huge amount of a fl- flick, but enough. Falls nicely for Plange. And it's actually quite a good finish to, to poke it mm-hmm. past the keeper and make it 1-1, isn't it? And you think that point, right, back in the game now. Let's keep it tight. Let, let's, let's try and get something from this, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> it's funny. At the time, some people on Twitter were saying, uh, like, oh, I proved everybody wrong about Luke Plange. I've, I've always said he was good. I've always said people need to stop giving him a hard time. And then three minutes later, 
God, yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's a good finishing plan. You're giving some credit, you know, for for getting his foot there before the keeper. And then this this was just infuriating this goal because we've got the ball on the the ball's on the left. And there, lad, and I, I'm not sure he does handball. I've watched this again and again, and I can't really tell, if I'm mm. honest. I don't know what you think about it, if you've watched it back on the highlights. It's hard to tell if he does handball it, but yeah. Plange is very insistent that he handballs it. But he stops. He mm. stops and indicates to the ref, like, handball, handball. And the lad's like, thank you very much. I'm going to keep going. Runs mm. away from him. Gets away down the um, down the wing. And at this point... Uh, Armour is very much exposed. I think mm. Robinson was possibly out of position as well because he's gone forward and Plange hasn't tracked. Mm. So Armour gets done fairly easily on on the right. Not not his fault because, he, like I said, he was he was exposed. I think it was two v one. The lad gets into the box, hits a low ball across, and uh, Lavelle just gets caught in two minds about what to do with it. I think possibly panicking, he doesn't want to score another own goal. Tries to control it, and he just sets it on a plate for Harvey Nibs to. Do his best to try and miss it, but just about get it over the line from a few yards out, doesn't he? Yeah, it was just a pinball goal, wasn't it? Just mm-hmm. yeah, shocking goal to concede, and um, yeah, really poor from Plange, just not playing to the whistle. It's it's elementary, isn't it? It's yeah. you learn that as a as a seven year old play to the whistle, and you, you can appeal and still run after the play at the same time. Yeah. It, mm. that is possible to do. At the very least, make it difficult for him. Mm. It was far too easy for the lad to get away. That that's that's the thing that was infuriating about that, wasn't it? It's just really, really basic stuff. Um Yeah, so that's two one and then I mean effectively game over about f- seven minutes later, wasn't it, when mm. Nibs got his second goal of the game. Another really scrappy one, this time Josh Emmanuel. Um just kick it out. I'm not sure what he's trying to do. He's trying to keep the ball in in a dangerous area. Just boot the ball out, get back into shape, and and and, and rework. You know, we were under a little bit of pressure at that point. They nick the ball back. It, it just pinballs about a bit. Nibs is able to turn a little bit too easily on the bo- edge of the box, get the ball out of his feet, and hit a low shot that looks like it takes a big deflection to go past Holy, doesn't it? Because Holy mm. dives the wrong way for it, and you can see how frustrated he is. It goes into the opposite corner, and at that point, did you ever think there's any chance of getting back into the game? No. To be honest, um, and as well, you know, like I said before, looking at the options we had on the bench, there wasn't a lot. But for me, with the Garner injury and bringing Plange on, I know obviously Plange scored, but they must do a lot of work in training. Simo says it all the time about first contact, second contact, yeah. stuff like that. Plange is not the same type of striker as Garner, no. so yeah. all that work you've done before the game, focusing on Garner starting and first contact, second contact. That's gone completely out the window when you take him off for Luke Plange. If you were to bring Edmondson on, maybe some of that's still relevant. But for Plange, it's a completely different... Your entire game plan's gone out the window. Plange is very much a get the ball into my feet. He's he's a tidy player with his balls at his feet and he's got players around him. He can link play fairly well. But he's not really going to win much in the air. You know, Edmondson can win a lot more in the air than he can. Mm. And, you know, if we're going to be direct in these games... For me, I'd agree. I think Edmonds is the better option there, but obviously at the moment, Simo's just not convinced by him for for whatever reason. And mm. yeah, um, going into the break at half time, it was three um, one down, and I think he had to make a change at that point, Simo, didn't he, just to try and get a bit of life into the attack? And McGeek was the one who was sacrificing. McGeek was actually playing okay, to be honest, mm. but it's one of those ones. I think in a two man midfield, 
I don't think you're going to get as much out of him as you would physically from Moxon and Mellish in that situation. Yeah. As we went to a four-four-two with Plange and Edmondson up front, and actually, the opening twenty minutes or so of that second half, we dominated, and we caused them a lot of problems, and we had chances, and the best of luck was for Edmondson, and he was really unlucky with this one, wasn't he? It's a corner from the right, uh, sorry, from the left, from Moxon in swinging, and Edmondson gets a great contact on it past the keeper. Just luck would have it. The lad basically took a step away from the post and, and blocked it on the line, didn't he? It's, mm. If he'd stayed on the post, it's a goal probably, isn't it? That's just that's just such law when, you, when things are not going for you. Well, there was another chance in the first half that you didn't mention, which was when the ball kind of got under plunge a bit and Gibson yeah. was at the far post and in acres of space. And I think Plange had two stabs at it when Gibson was just wide open and... Yeah, yeah. We've, we've said all along, if you don't take your chances, you're not going to score. You know, we can't no. claim that we deserved anything from the game if, if no. you don't take your chances. No. So, yeah, Gibson actually had a chance on the follow-up from Edmonton's head off the line, which he was blocked by the same player. Mm. Um, and then Plange had another great chance in the second half, didn't he, where it was a lovely ball in from the left by, uh, I think it was from Edmondson, and, not Edmondson, sorry, from um, Robinson. And... He just got a little bit... If you watch it back, he gets just a little bit ahead of the ball. And as yeah, a result... Oh, that's makes, the one I'm on about, yeah. So, yeah. The second half, yeah. And he just... It's frustrating because if, if the ball was a little bit more ahead of him, I think he scores that. I think mm. he side-foots it in first time. But he just got... He got a little bit ahead of the ball. He controlled it and the ball was behind him and he had to wait, turn on it. And by that point, the keeper had done really well to come out and block him. And like you said, maybe he's got a square to Gibson, but at the same time, he's... It happened so quickly. I don't think he really has time to think about it mm. in that sense. Um, and then we just couldn't really quite get into the game at that point. I think Butterworth coming on didn't really do much good for us. Um, you know, Robinson dropped a left back at that point. He would have been causing problems as a left winger, really. Mm. Um, and then Red didn't get there fourth. And this is probably the only one we can't really criticise that. So maybe Wings got a little bit too much space on the edge of the box, but it's a lovely strike, isn't it, to put it past Holy, the curling shot from 20 yards. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Maybe Holy could have done better, I don't know. Um, it's hard to tell. You might, might have been a little bit unsighted with the shot, I think, possibly, by yeah. the time they were closing them down. But but yeah, it was a um, well-struck shot from the edge of the box. But then the the fifth goal is just... It's another sloppy one, isn't it, really, on the on the counter for, for Reading. Yeah. Mm. Um, Lavelle again, just not not really paying attention, and you know if he steps up, the lad's about three or four yards offside, and mm. the flag goes up, but he just wasn't really watching. He gets away, threw on goal. And there was only one thing that happened once he was through on goal, and it was five one. And final result, it's a weird one, Mike, because it, it's a game to forget, and scoreline wise, we got battered. But if you look at the bare stats, and I know there's only one stat that matters, that's the final result. We always say that. But we match them shots-wise. Possession-wise, not a huge amount of difference. We had more corners than them. But the difference is they took their chances when we gifted them to them. And we had to work harder for ours, and we didn't really take them when we got them. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's the story of our season. It really is. Um mm. But if you defend that poorly against a Reading and they score five on you, God knows what happens if you play that poorly against a Blackpool or a Portsmouth or a Peterborough, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, do you think there's an element of they had to work so hard against a decent Charlton side that there's slightly tired legs there for a midweek game? I know we don't like to use it as an excuse, but it, it kind of feels like one game too many is the wrong phrase. But, you know, it was not an ideal trip to have to do in midweek after such a testing game at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely does come into it. I mean, Emmanuel, for example, you know, that Charlton game was his first game in yeah. a good while and um, Simo only wanted to give him 60, but he said he was all right to play 70. But I bet he'll have been stiff on Sunday and Monday. Oh, in, and in an ideal still world. on Tuesday. In an ideal world, you'd want to bring Jack Ellis in for that game, wouldn't you, maybe, to mix things yeah. up a little bit and to rest Emmanuel. But yeah. obviously, at the moment, Ellis is still working his way back to fitness, so you couldn't. Um yeah, like I said, in, in that sense, I'd, it's a battering scoreline-wise, but performance-wise, I don't think it was that much of a battering. I don't think Reading were an exceptional side. I don't think they particularly tore us apart. I think we've gifted them a couple of goals on the counter on a couple of occasions. And it, it's, yeah, it, 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 it's a flatter thing for them a little bit. The fact that they got beat by Eastley in the FA Cup is quite telling, isn't it, really? You know, it shows that yeah. just how poor we were in that game. And how we really gifted the, the, the opportunities to them. Um, What's crazy for me though is like last season we got the club record of clean sheets in a season, and yeah. this season we cannot get a clean sheet for love nor money. Like you'd think that, all right, yeah, you're not going to get as many as last season, but you'd think maybe you'd be able to keep a few. Yeah. But we just yeah, we, can't we, keep any. We talk about how great um, Lavelle's been this season, and he has been good. But are we missing Feeney? Are we missing Huntington at the back there? A bit of sort of stability in that back three that we that we had last season. Is that that's something maybe we're lacking slightly? Because we are being again, like I keep saying, we're not conceding dozens and dozens of goals, and with the exception of that Reading game, we're just losing a lot of games one nil, and we just can't quite find those tight results, can we? Yeah, well, I think we miss Callum Guy a lot. Oh yeah, we, we recently really weeks, do um, because Callum Guy would have stopped quite a lot of them Reading attacks before they even mm. got into the final third. Um, and McGeek's finding his feet still, isn't he, after his injury issues? So Yeah, but even then, they're, they're different kind of players, really. Yeah. Um, and we don't really have anyone that can do the Callum Guy job, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Garner's injury was a bit frustrating, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Completely innocuous. Because um, he got a foul given against him for it, but all that happened was... He was running behind the Reading lad, and he's, the Reading lad's foot comes back quite far, catches Garner on the knee, he gets a gash on his knee, and he just isn't able to continue. It's one of those ones where, you know, you think, oh, it's only a cut, but actually, if it's quite a deep gash, mm. it's really sore, and you just, there's no point in him trying to carry on, is there, at that point? Mm. And uh, frustrating one, we'll have to wait and see whether he's available, because, uh, like I said, I think, again, if, he, if he's fit... He's up against what a nineteen-year-old and a twenty-year-old. I think they had at centre back. They had a couple yeah. of young lads there. He would have absolutely loved that. He would have enjoyed it, wouldn't he? And then you could bring Plange and Edmonds on later on when they're, they're a bit tired, having had a mm. battle with with Joe. But as it was, we weren't able to do that. Um, Edmondson, Then let's talk about him. Um, I think he did pretty well off the bench in this game. I think he made a difference. I think he gave us a bit of running, a bit of a physical presence up there. Has he done enough to feature against Blackpool from the start potentially? Um... Well, is the question, has he done enough? Or is the question, have our other strikers done enough? And for me, no, they haven't. So, yeah, why not, Ryan Edmondson? I mean, the the minimum we expect as fans is effort. And mm. frankly, Luke Plange does not provide you with that. Ryan yeah. Edmondson does. And, yeah. you know, simple as. So, for me, he can't do any worse. So, yeah, yeah give him a go. 
I kind of wish that header had got in because I think even if we still lost the game, I think it would have been really good for his confidence. He just, mm. he really needs a goal to try and get himself going this season. You know, even not even getting goals in the Trophy or Cup games mm. is really frustrating. So hopefully something will come for him soon because you know there's a few rumours sort of swirling around that he's going to be one of the first to leave in January, which I think mean, mm. would be such a shame if he did because we saw how much potential he had in some of those games last season and he just hasn't lived up to it this time around and. This could be a big few weeks for him, couldn't it? And a few, like like a few other players, a chance to show what he's capable of. Mm, yeah, definitely. But it, it it's funny, really, because it hasn't been um, suggested that maybe a spell out on loan would do him good. Because yeah. well, he's you out of contract out... in the season, isn't he? That's the thing. No, I, I know he's out of contract at the end of the season. I don't know if there's an option in there or something. But yeah. we know that he can be a good player. He's won promotion from League Two twice in two years. And you forget yeah. how young he is as well. You know, he is only 22, same age as Taylor Charters, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a young lad. So, yeah, there's still plenty of time for him to, to show what he's capable of. Um, we sort of already touched on Luke Plange and how frustrating he is at times. You know, there's clearly levels of quality there, but just I don't know if it's even lack of effort I think it's sometimes just not a bit of belief in himself and a bit of from what I've heard um, Plange in training is incredible and he mm. scores goals from all over the place but in a match he just can't do it and this some players can't yeah some players can't and you need to Simo maybe just needs to accept that look you know yeah. maybe that's a job for another manager but we can't afford to be doing this experiment when we're in the relegation zone? I mean, I think he's going back at the start of January. I can't see him staying. I just can't. Surely. We're going to have plenty of options in terms of better quality players to bring in, hopefully, at that point. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, Sam Lavelle had a bit of a stink about it. I think we can let him off, really, because he's been he's been very good this season. And, you know, mm. players are going to do that every now and then. That's just an acceptance at this level. John Mellish in midfield got a bit of criticism, I think, from a few people in this one. I, I, to be honest, I thought he was one of our better players first half in terms of pressing. You know, yeah, I think he actually offered something a little bit. I think once the sub happened and he didn't have Garner to back him up in terms of that, it was a little bit difficult for him, but he still kept going. And I don't think he was the reason we lost this game in any shape, no. way, shape or form. You know, I still think I'd, I'd prefer to see him at centre-back, 100%. Mm. I think he just offers a little bit more there to us. Um, Barkley didn't have the greatest game in this one either, to be fair, so... Yeah, interesting one. Um, we've got a couple of six-second reviews. Um, first of all, Chris Martin, one of our regulars, he was at the game and this is what he had to say. Rubbish game, rubbish result, rubbish stadium. Whatever the Americans do with Brunton Park, I hope it never becomes like the select car leasing stadium in Reading. Awful. Tonight's performance reminded me of a Keith Millen team. Like when we played against Northampton, it was just so disjointed and nobody had a clue what they were doing. Plus, if we're going to play 4-3-3, I'll tell you who we do miss. Amari Patrick. Especially in a 4-3-3. I don't get excited for set pieces anymore. Corners especially. No Morgan Feeney. Uh, and we looked completely lost and out of ideas on the counter-attack. Dennis. Fair enough, these players did not want to come back to us with the promotion. But we didn't even get anything close to replacements. And uh, I think... The summer transfer windows come back to bite us. Worst of all of that, altogether, they ran out of hot drinks at half-time. Um, awful. But you can't appreciate the amazing Bolton wins and Wembley wins if you don't have turgid performances like that. Anyway, on to Blackpool. 
It's, it's a fair point, Matthew. You've got to, you've got to have the, the the lows to make the highs that little bit more special, don't you? So, Definitely. So some really good points in there. Um, in terms of the stadium, I've been before as well. It's, it's the problem is it's the arse end of nowhere. Mm. It's, it's miles out of town. I think there's a train station nearby now. There wasn't when I went. Um, but yeah, there's not much around there. There's no real pubs or anything. You know, even by the, you know the standards of some these out of town stadiums you get now, it's pretty bad. Uh, Reading, yeah, not not one to to want to return to. I think for a lot of those fans who went down for the for the game uh, in midweek. Um, the point on the players who um, who've left in the set pieces thing, I find quite interesting. So, I think we're kind of in agreement. There's a level of frustration in the fact that Patrick has left the left the club in the summer because mm. he wanted to play as a winger and he probably would have been playing every week as a winger for us in mm. League One right now. Mm. But he's also not getting games for Sutton United though. He's not starting mm. games for them, you know, and they're near the bottom of the league. And I think as much as anything, it was a level of wanting to play as a winger every week, but also wanting to be a little bit back, nearer back to home because he's, he's been away from the South for mm. pretty much all of his career. So I think there's a, there's an element of that as well. So you've got to remember I, that. I think people see the lack of pace in the team and instantly yeah. think back to Patrick. But I think what we need is pace. I don't, I don't think what we need is Amari Patrick. I think what we need is just pace. Yeah. I think I think he'd be a better option than Dan Butterworth, for example. A lot mm. better option, in my opinion. I think he would offer us something. I watch it. For some reason, I was watching the highlights from the Crawley game last season, the away one with one five two, And he was phenomenal in that game. Mm. You could see just how much he was enjoying bombing forward. I think he was playing mm. with Garner up front that day. And but yeah, even when Patrick wasn't doing a lot, he was forcing defences to yeah. sit deep and yeah. invite pressure from the rest of the team. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we don't have anyone to do yeah. that. So teams are playing high up and we just can't get in behind them. We we need a winger in January. We need mm. a winger to come in. We, we we really do. Um the Dennis one's interesting. I, I think maybe we are lacking another striker like him. He would have been, I think he would have probably chipped him with three or four goals at least. I know he hasn't scored many for Tramier, mm. but the momentum he had with us in terms of his last season, I think he would have done okay for us. But he's gone at the end of the day. And same with Feeney. And I agree, set pieces wise, he's maybe not having him there. His physicality and the way he would just basically barge plays out of the way has made a difference. That said, what I would say is last season, Ryan Edmondson scored, scored a lot, scored, sorry, caused a lot of problems on set pieces as well with his physical mm. presence in terms of getting yeah. about and not having him on the pitch for some of these ones. What is Plange offering us on these set pieces? Yeah, I think really exactly. that, that's another reason for me to you know to be in the Edmonton in camp rather than the planting camp really in terms of the, yeah. the team. So, but it's so, funny because yeah. he, he he mentioned Dennis and he mentioned um, Feeney from set pieces, but yeah. we missed Dennis from set pieces. Oh, 100%. Dennis was very clever in that six yard box, yeah. um, getting in front of the keeper so that he couldn't stop across. Yeah. He's a prime yeah. example that size is not not necessarily the, the solution for set pieces. You know, he yeah. he, he was what, maybe five foot eleven, something like that, six yeah. foot max, and he would cause all kinds of problems. Near post as well, the flick ons he could get, he was he was excellent yeah. at that, wasn't he? So, so yeah, absolutely. But we, we can't hark back to the past for too long. January's coming soon, and the level of player we're going to be bringing in is hopefully going to take us up 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 another notch. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, right, we've got one more six second view. It's from Dan. I don't think it's 60 seconds long. Let's hear what he has to say. You know when you get dog on the bottom of new trainers and you just can't get it off while you're walking about? Yeah, that was that match. So, yeah, <laughs> and that's, that's Dan's review of the Reading game. And, yeah, I think that's quite a good one to end on, really, for the Reading review, isn't it, Mike? Um, yeah. Let's do a little rundown of the uh, League One results from those midweek set of fixtures. Uh, Barnsley won Wickham nil. We'll talk about that in the ex section. 
because that's an interesting one, that one. Um, our opponents uh, this weekend, Blackpool lost 2-1 at home. There's Northampton, a bit of a surprise result, that one. Um, Bristol Rovers, 1-1 draw with Leighton Orient. Burton lost 2-0 at home to Portsmouth. Cambridge United lost 3-0 at home to Lincoln City, a result that cost Mark Bonner his job as manager, I think, didn't it? So, uh, mm. And they just appointed Neil Harris as his replacement. That's an interesting appointment. Harris has done okay, generally, the managerial job he has, hasn't he? So mm. I, th- I think it's, it's not the worst appointment in the world. They could have made that, to be fair. Uh, Charlton got a 2-1 win over Cheltenham at home. Exeter nil, Shrewsbury nil, Oxford nil, Bolton nil, Thrillers, those two, I'm sure. Port Vale nil, Derby one. Derby just starting to string a few results together now, aren't they? Um, Stevenage two, Peterborough two. Stevenage is still right up there. Quite remarkable, isn't it? I, I, yeah. Surely they're going to drop off at some point. I know they did really well last season. I said this this time last season with them, though, and, you know. Yep, just, never came. Yeah. Never came. And uh, finally, Wigan three, Fleetwood nil. Fleetwood, thankfully, still struggling down at the bottom with us. So um, hopefully that Boxing Day result might be game might be one where we can uh, overhaul at that point. But um, yeah, I think we've covered pretty much the Reading game now, Mike. Nothing else we want to talk about there, is there? Nope. Thank God for that, right? <laughs> um, right, uh, we'll be taking a short break. When we come back from the break, we're going to go straight into the Behind Enemy Lines section where I'll be speaking to John from the Seasiders podcast. And we talked about, I mean, it was hard not to talk about the, the Oyston era and how important it was to end that. And he, and he had a long answer on that one, to be fair. It, it's good. It's really in-depth and explains why it was so important for them to get rid of the Oyston family as owners. Um, a little bit on uh, the return of Neil, Neil Chrisley as their manager, and there was a little bit of a love in for Paul Simpson as well, because they're, they're big fans of him down there on the Files Coast as well. So, uh, yeah, we're back in the, just a sec, and we'll be talking to John. Hi, I'm Thomas Holy, and you are listening to Brunton Bureau. Okay, we're back after the break now, and it's time for Behind Amy Lyons. And this week, we are speaking to John from the Seasiders podcast. He's going to tell us about all things... Blackpool FC. John, good to have you on the show. Uh, hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Right. I sort of pre-warned you before we started recording here what I was going to ask you first question. You said this this one might take a while to answer, so we'll, we'll try and keep it as brief as we can, but it is one that I think we kind of need to cover. So anyone who's sort of vaguely followed what happened with Blackpool over recent years will know that three years ago, in fact, four years ago, sorry, um, the 32 years of I think turmoil, it's fair to say, under the ownership of the Oyston family finally came to an end when uh, Simon Sadler bought a majority stake in the club. How much of a relief was it to finally see the back of them? Because a family maybe who hasn't followed it as closely might go, well, hang on, they got you into the Premier League. Why aren't you grateful for that? They built this brand new stadium. But it's a lot more complex than that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, as I said, how long have you got? So... The the club had had massive amounts of chronic underinvestment throughout the years. Um, you mentioned um, a new stadium that they um, air quotes financed. That the majority of that was financed via a, a trust. I think it was called the Football Found, Foundation at the time. So the vast majority of that was mm-hmm. financed through grants. Um, so that was the stadium. Um, we had just years and years of chronic underinvestment. I think we had one season where the owners did actually invest into the club and we nearly got to the, the promised land of the championship. Um but yeah, long long story short, the the reasons why the boycotts happened and, and had to happen was the post Premier League 
years because there was no legacy whatsoever from the Premier League money. Um, it was it's quite well documented that the Oysters, um, how can we put it, they moved funds from the football club into various uh, shell companies that they they set up. Um, the the Premier League success was primarily down to an outside investor called Larry Bellacon. Yeah, who was a Latvian investor. Not a lot of people know this. People say the Oysters got the Blackpool to Premier League. Well, they didn't really. It was it was due to a, a fighting fund set up by Valeri Belakon, who was um like we say, was a Latvian banker. Now he bought a I think it was a twenty twenty five percent share in the club, uh, and part of that that deal was to he, he bought a, I think it was about a million, might have been a bit less than a million, like half a million, mm-hmm. a fighting fund that bought us Charlie Adam, um, Neil Erdley, and a few other. Key players, David Vaughan was another. Um, these weren't by you know by any stretch of the imagination you know million pound signings. They were a bit more than what we were used to seeing on transfer fees. But Ian Holloway gelled the this team. Um, if they were misfits really from other clubs, um, rejected from other clubs. Charlie was rejected from Rangers. David Vaughan we bought from. It was Real Sociedad. He didn't do much over there from Crew. Neil Early from Oldham, I think he was a promising player there, um, and a few others, and they all they gelled together, and it was kind of the perfect, yeah. the perfect storm, and they got that was gotten to the Premier League, and we all thought the the club will be, you know, transformed from top to bottom. We've had the train same training league, so training ground that Stanley Matthews trained on. Um, it was literally <laughs> a wooden hut. Um, the the managers had to buy their own. Washing machines and fridges, things like that, for the the changing rooms, and um, we never took players to the training ground because we probably wouldn't get the deals over the line, that kind of thing. So everyone presumed it'd be a, um, a big investment in the infrastructure of the club and putting it on a sound footing. You know, we didn't expect just to stay in the Premier League. Um, a lot of people would have been happy with what a lot of Blackpool fans regard as our natural level, just you know, just Championship, maybe just. Um, dallying with promotion every now and then. Um, if we slip down to League One, third division, as it was then, so be it. But we just wanted to see investment in the club in the form of training ground. We wanted the, the stadium finishing. We've still got a temporary stand there that they built. Um, the pitch was an absolute disgrace. We didn't have a groundsman. I think it was a, it was actually a milkman who was the head groundsman. Um, and the only, the only lasting legacy of the Premier League money was pitch sprinklers and that was literally it we, there was n- nothing invested whatsoever so and I'll try to keep this as brief as possible so <laughs> obviously Blackpool fans weren't happy with this money disappearing they weren't happy with um, the transfer dealings after the Premier League we were getting all these parachute payments that wasn't getting spent on any no investment whatsoever on players we were just getting free transfers and um, people were were talking up against them and what they were doing on message boards. Um, and so the Oysters took it upon themselves to go and find things people had been saying online and um, sue them, threaten them with litigation. That wasn't just one person, it was multiple people. So imagine oh. a football club suing its own fans. Um, great look, is it? Yeah, no. For, you know, tens of thousands of pounds, 20,000, like that, ruining, ruining people's lives. So it was... It was a t- it was a terrible time to be a Blackpool fan, really. So, the only way we could envisage getting rid of them was just to starve the the club of of money and funds, and hopefully try and force them out because that was literally the only thing we could do. We didn't get any help from the FL. Football authorities didn't want to know. 
Um, so we started a campaign called Not A Penny More, where we'd continue to support the, club, the team in any way we could, but that couldn't be at home games, not while they were suing their own fans and trying to silence their own fans. Yeah. Um, it was just a, it was, it's an unbelievable thing to mm. go through at the club. There was mass protests all the time. Um, so, yeah, so people didn't go to the home games. We went to the away games. Um, boycotted all the merchandise. Um, we went, I think there was, there was a couple of protest groups that went out of the way to try and inform all the local community about what they were doing, what they were doing to the club, etc., and what they were doing to people. But what eventually um, forced forced them out of the club was um, a class action, not a class action, it was a an action through the courts that Valeri Bellicon took, which was to basically uh, take action against them for the fact that I think he was a 25% shareholder. Might have been 25, 30%, I don't know exactly. But they he was he was basically due a third of the, the Premier League windfall. And yeah. he was of the he was of the opinion, he was a board member well, he was a director. Now he wanted that money reinvested in the club, in the players, in the ground, so he wasn't really mm-hmm. bothered about making money for himself. He was so happy that we'd got to where yeah. we'd got to and he just wanted to improve the club. Now they they completely ignored everything that he wanted. They cut him out of all the um board meetings and he was basically due, like you said, twenty five, thirty percent of the proceeds and he didn't get a penny. So he instructed one of London's absolute top corporate law firms <laughs> to go after them, um, which he did successfully to the tune of, it was around £33 million judgment wow. against them. Yeah. So that forced the sale of the club. So they didn't have the, I don't believe they had the assets or the money to, to pay that. So there was, there was a forced sale of the club. The receivers came in and... We were like, well, wow, what happens now? Because the club was more or less in receivership. And yeah. um, luckily they found um, a local businessman. I'll say he's local. He's from, he was a Hong Kong, he is a Hong Kong hedge fund manager. Got quite deep pockets. Blackpool fan born and raised and he took the opportunity to, to buy the club. And yeah, um, we're in good hands. The club's in good hands now. We're being run for the right reasons. People don't care that, you know, obviously we care that we got relegated, but we've, you know, we've got our club back and now we've been, you know, the, the fans, we've been four, four years in the wilderness of not being able to go and support your team. Um, me and all my friends, you know, we're lifelong season ticket holders and it was a, it was a painful part of our history and just thankfully we're through the other side now and uh, yeah, back in the third division where it all began. <laughs> it, it, it must have been even more frustrating when you say those things about, no investment in the training ground and the ground or whatever and stuff like that. When you looked, what, six miles up the coast at Fleetwood, a much smaller club, having a huge amount put into there. And I know what's happened there is now is a bit funny, but but actually seeing some money getting pumped into their club, that must have been like a bit galling at times because they are a much smaller club than you at the end of the day. Well, yeah, they're a, they're a glorified <laughs> pub team really, aren't they? <laughs> they were, I'll be honest, when the Premier League, I think we were 10 divisions apart, something like that. Um, so yeah, they've got a fantastic training facility. It's called Pillfoot Farm, opened by Alex Ferguson. They've got a, I think it's a Cat Two Academy there. They've got a, a dome where you can play multiple artificial pitches. All the community use it, so it's a great yeah, it's a great facility there. They were kind of on the up. Um, there was AFC Fylde as well. I don't know if you've yeah, heard of them. Yeah, they were. 
they were uh, owned by a, or they are owned by an, a Blackpool fan uh, called David Haythorn. And he tried to buy the club about, must be 15, 20 years ago now. And yeah. he kind of got ridiculed by the Oystons. So he had a, a real um, revenge mission. And that was, I think that was his real, one of his main reasons for building up AFC Fylde. His, yeah. his, his, his aim was to show the Oystons how to, how to run a football club and, They've got a brand new training ground now, which is really good. They've got a you know decentish stadium for that level. So there's these, yeah, there was two clubs on the foul coast, um, all on the way up at the time, and we were we were languishing without a team support really. So yeah, it was it was quite a um, depressing time actually. I actually, went yeah. to an AFC filed game just to see what it was like, and it was it was like I didn't care. I was like, I was not into yeah. it, and I thought I'm never, never coming here again. It's Blackpool or nothing. Exactly. Um, well, let's get to present day now then. Um, let's talk about your manager, Neil Critchley. Um, interesting one, because he, he sort of left under maybe a little bit of a cloud, is it fair to say, when mm, he left yeah. a couple of years ago? So back as manager this summer, um, was he well accepted? And how's it gone so far for him? I wouldn't say he was well accepted. It was, he did he did leave, just completely out of the blue, Um to be an I mean, assistant fact, as well. <laughs> mm, yeah. To be an assistant. I think no one would have batted an eyelid, really, had he gone to a you know, a bigger championship club, you know, like Sunderland Middlesbrough to be manager or to be yeah. manager of a Premier League team, lower Premier But to go as an assistant was um Yeah, it was a bit galling really. And the fact that he didn't say anything, there was no press release and you know, thanks for the support and what have you. There was no, there was nothing, he just disappeared and left, so that left a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth. And when he was re-announced, um, a lot of the fan base, myself included, and a few of my pals, we all wanted Stephen Dobby to be the manager. He was, mm. he's was he been a great player for the club and he came in as um, caretaker manager. He did a fantastic job. So we had to endure um, hoofball from Mick McCarthy towards the back end of the season. <laughs> it was, that was drudgery, to say the least. And... Dobby coming in, who was he was an attacking player and a flyer player in his time, scored a lot of goals. He he just went out and attacked teams and we won fifty percent of the games under him. So a lot of people wanted him to be given a crack at the manager's job. Wasn't to be. Um the recruitment process um apparently said Neil Critchley is the, the man for the job. Right? He knows the squad quite well from last time. Yeah. So um yeah, people were I mean, taking the emotion out of it, I was quite pleased that we'd got him back. You know, he's a very good coach. He did very well at this level. Last time we played in uh, League One, he got us promoted and did a really good job in the championship. So on that basis, yeah, he's done he's done really well. We've had a you know a very slow start under him this season. We've started to get a bit of steam and that was quickly derailed uh, by losing at home to Northampton. So um yeah, he's I think he's still got a few bridges to to rebuild with the the fan base, and I think they won't be as forgiving as they were first time round. Should results dip, and you know we took a, a fall down the table, so yeah, we'll see. What are your expectations for this season? Then, obviously, with uh, having been relegated last season and, and Neil coming back into the club, I mean, looking at your recruitment, it's, it seems pretty decent. I think pretty much all of us on our season preview pod had you guys in or around the playoffs roundabout for this season because it's it is quite a tough division. I think there's quite a lot of well balanced teams at the top, but. I think you guys looking generally at it, you know, with the likes of Rhodes coming in particularly, we felt that you'd be right up there. Yeah, um, squad wise, we're 
I think I probably speak for the majority of the fans. The one we're, we're all pretty happy with the squad that's been put together. Um, we were a bit unfortunate losing Jerry Yates in the summer. He was a key player, but we got we, yeah. We, we had Jerry on loan a few years back. He's a very good player. You did, didn't you? Of course, mm. yeah. But we got Carl Joseph in return from. Swansea, and of course he got injured as soon as he joined. So, That's so slow, um, yeah, so yeah, I think he was probably a like-for-like replacement for Jerry, mm-hmm. which led us to Jordan Rose. I think Jordan Rose was an accidental sign, not an accidental. It was a a, a necessity signing, yeah, because um, Joseph was injured. So they said these things happen for a reason, don't they? So we've signed Jordan Rose to cover cover for him, and he's been absolutely yeah. banging them in. Um, as for what we, th- I, I thought we'd be finishing in the playoffs. I didn't find, didn't think we'd go up automatically. Cause it's not what Blackpool do. Not in my, I think in my entire lifetime, we've been promoted seven times, and six of those have been through the playoffs. I've never, uh, I think it was probably at eight when we went up last time, so I can't really remember any of it. So, um, we are the playoff kings, and I, I was expecting us to get to the playoffs. Um, maybe knock on the door of the automatic spots, mm. but. I think I don't think League One is as competitive as it has been in years gone by. To be honest, when we went up, the season after we went up last year, it was some very good teams down there. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're not we weren't in it last year compared to this year. Yeah. Um, danger men in the squad, other than Rhodes, who who should we be looking out for? Carl Joseph just mentioned him. Uh, just come back from injury, he looks. He looks a decent player. He's fast. He's aggressive. Mm. He's quick. He looks like he can. He's got goals in him, but he's just getting to full fitness. So, possibly him if he does start. We've got a player called CJ Hamilton. He's got pace to burn. Um, he's actually a left winger, but we've been playing him in inverted wing back. So he's on the he's on the right. He can he can drop a shoulder and go past pretty much any player in the division. I'd say he's probably the quickest player in the in the division. So he's he's one to look out for. Um, I think he's a top assist. Is he top assists in League One? Oh. Yeah. So he's one to look for. Uh, we've got a player called Owen Dale, who's on loan at Portsmouth last season. He's coming into a bit of form at the moment. So he's he's another one to watch. Um, Shane Lavery, Northern Ireland. He's out injured. Northern Ireland international. He's he's decent. Um, and. Finally, Karamoko Dembele, who we've signed from Brest on loan, wonder kid from Chelsea. Well, <laughs> he can be an he can be an absolute match winner. Um, he's one of those players where you don't know what he's going to do next. Yeah. <laughs> do, <neither laughs> do, do we've got a few of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so he's he's a real he's a real live wire in in the midfield. Plays in a number ten role occasionally, and he can. Yeah. He can really pick a pass and unlock teams and do some damage. So, probably say those three. Um, connections between the two squads. I look for your squad. There's no one in there at the moment who used to play for us. I don't think. I think maybe you should get is Gary Medina's obviously training with you guys again at the moment. There's, and he's been linked with both of our clubs. I think hasn't he over the last few months in in terms of where he'll go in January when he's fully fit. Interesting to see where he turns up. He's one of those ones, Gary, isn't he? You know, he's a very effective player if you can keep him out of trouble. <laughs> that, that, that's where yeah. the problem lies. Uh, looking at the Carlisle squad, there's a couple in there. Um, Callum Guy, unfortunately, won't be playing. He's out for nine months with a ACL injury. Um, and obviously, the man in the hot seat at Brendan Park, 
mm. was a particularly popular player at uh, Blackpool. Paul Simpson, wasn't he? You mentioned playoff results. Didn't he score at the Millennium Stadium in the final? Yep. Was that? Or he was certainly that did. Yeah. Yep. He he scored in the match against Orient. It was 2000. Was it one, I think? One, yeah, 2001. Yeah. Um, it was 2 2, and um, the ball got played out from midfield to Simo out on the out on the left and he, he had to come at an angle and the whole well all the Blackpool end anyway we all gasped there in and held our breath but as soon as I saw it was Paul Simpson coming in from the left with the ball it's yeah. goal absolute he will he will finish this cools you like just side foot it into the to the far corner um, that was one of my greatest moments ever as a Blackpool fan actually yeah um, Simo that season as a player he was he was probably the difference between us not going up and going up. He came in and he was absolutely superb player and an old head at the time as well. And he had a great effect, great left foot as well. And he had a just a brilliant effect around the, the rest of the team, the young lads, and he brought them on. And um, yeah, I, I really like him as a person as well. He's a he's a decent guy. So no, I, don't, I would have, I would have wouldn't have been unhappy had he been given the Blackpool job at some point. I think he's quite happy where he is right now. Hopefully, but um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, Callum Guy in particular memories of him because he, he wasn't overly successful, you guys, but he's been a fantastic player for us over the last. Was he really? Years. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he just reminds me of the Oyston era. I think it might have just been after. Mm. So yeah, he didn't really do a lot at Blackpool to be honest, but he he, play, he was a player from around that time when the boycott was going on or it's it's final throw so yeah yeah um, don't really have an opinion on him no fair but enough. it's interesting that he's doing well mm. um carlisle yeah i do see his name popping pop, popping up on a soccer saturday every now and then when you see his name popped up you, you can guarantee it's a belter because he, he does not score tappings he's got i think every goal he's scored from the outside the area ridiculous is his record with that um any memories of some past games against carlisle that you mm. can, can recall Particular, yeah. but I mean, for me, past games against Blackpool, the one stands out for me is probably was it ninety nine? I think late ninety nine, when Bloomfield Road hadn't been developed at all by that point, and there was a huge hole in the roof. We got absolutely <laughs> poured down on, but our goalkeeper Peter Keane scored that day with a drop kick from his own area. That, that's what my main memory of Blackpool, basically, throughout the games. There was a very. Uh... Was it? It'll have been nineteen ninety or ninety one. I think we won six nil. Yeah, six I saw the nil highlights of that the day. Yeah, <laughs> that was a. Yeah, that was a, a time when we had a really good team at the time. Dave Bamber and David Ayres, Tony Rodwell, managed by Billy Ayres, young Travis, Travis Sinclair was in the squad at the time. Wow. Um, and I think it was a. I think we were both flying high in three relief. We were both doing quite I well at the time. It was in the bottom tier, I think, and I have a feeling yeah. that. It was right about a time where we had this weird season where we had a brilliant second half to one season and a brilliant start to the following season. And if you put that over a whole season, we would have won the title. But we collapsed it. Either, either side of that, our form was like relegation level. So that's that's the reason why we didn't go up in either season. I just remember, really. I remember thinking it being a, it was an important game and we absolutely uh, wiped the floor with you. Yeah. But um, I've always I always enjoyed my trips up to Brunson Park. I've not been for years and years and years. Um you know, for one reason or other, I've just not made um, our last two trips. I think we might have been in, was it 2017, around then? I think Brad Potts scored last time. I think you guys came up and yeah, they got a little that bit was... of stick. <laughs> I remember, yeah. Interesting one, that one. Um, um, 
Yeah, I mean, just look, final question before we do predictions. Uh, Bloomfield Road, as we mentioned, has changed quite a bit down the years. What can Carlisle fans expect on the visit this weekend? Because I think we're going to be in the, the temporary stand. I've been in there for the... When we played Yeovil Town in the FA Cup a few years back, when we when you kindly let us use our stadium after the floods, I was in the press box in that end. And wow. from what I remember, there's not a huge amount in there, is there, in that temporary stand? Well, you you say that, but I think it holds about four, four, four and a bit. Four and well, we're a, only four getting two thousand out of it because of the safety certificate issue. As well, well that's that's what they on. say. Um, yeah. It's it's a bit of a, a contentious issue um, <laughs> at the moment. We. Some of the players and some of the fans don't really like it when we give that entire end away to mm-hmm. to away supporters. Um, whether it's say safety certificate related or not, or maybe the the club don't want to give the other team an advantage. My personal opinion is that I think we should sell it out to the clubs that when the weather's demand. I think it adds to the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a shame that you don't get the whole stand. Um, I'm sure. Carlisle would fill it, bring 4,000. I know she took a large following to Bolton, so I'd expect it well, to be got, the same. We've already sold about 3,000 for Wigan as well, I think. So right, <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, yeah. well, it's good times for us following us, at least, anyway. Yeah. Well, Blackpool away. Blackpool's got a bit more of a pull and Wigan and Bolton oh, as well. Always does. Always does. <laughs> I, think everyone, I think everyone's just a little bit gutted it's not in August, but, you know, we get to see the illuminations mm. while we're there, so that's a nice little treat <laughs> as well. But, uh, but, yeah, I think we're all looking forward to it. Um Johnny, you've been very calm with your time. We're going to go and speak about for your pod in a minute. Before you go, can I have a prediction for this weekend's game? Well, we've been doing really well against the, the teams in the upper echelons of League One this season, and we've been struggling against the teams that have been near the bottom. Um, I think we'll just edge it, though, 2-1, um, on the back of a couple of good wins. Two four nils, but we lost to, at home to Northampton. We looked a bit tired, but I think we've got enough quality in the squad to rotate and just win the game. So I'm going to have 2-1. Wouldn't surprise me at all if that was a result, to be fair, but there you go. <laughs> John, thanks for your time and all the best for the rest of the season after this weekend's game. Nice one. You too, mate. See ya. Hi, it's uh, Tom Piatic the second, and you're listening to the Brunton Bugle. Yes, we're back uh, for the uh, second half to show the preview of the Blackpool game. Thanks once again to John from the Seasiders podcast for taking his time to speak to us. Um, yeah, I mean, you think of clubs that have had terrible owners down the end, and some people might look at the Oysters, might might they think, oh, but, but look, they got them into the Premier League, you know, they have them, you know, brand new stadium and stuff like that. But it's not as simple as that. The, the amount of money that was not reinvested back into that club from what they got mm. in the Premier League and stuff is pretty disgraceful, wasn't it, really, the way they were treated mm. in terms of that. And fair play, the, the Blackpool fans, they boycotted the club for a long period and they were getting very low crowds And for a club that's, <laughs> that is a big club. Um, and yeah, they've managed to turn things around now. And they seem quite quite content with the current owners, don't they, by the looks of things? Yeah, well, I think you know they could have anyone own yeah. the club after the Oysters, and they'd be quite content with them. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right, let's uh, talk about Blackpool then, Mike. Um, yeah, in, in terms of them as a club, as I said there, I think sometimes people don't appreciate how big of a club they are, do they really? Because mm. when you look at it, we didn't play them in a, in a fixture, a competitive fixture, until 1967. Mm. And you look back, we played, you know, a lot of other clubs in the north, a lot sooner than that. I mean, Preston, you maybe think similarish time because obviously they were near the top, but Blackpool were there too. One, you know, one of those 
Lancashire football clubs that have always been big in the very early history of football, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, Stanley Matthews was there, wasn't he? I think. Yes, Stanley Matthews, yeah. famous, obviously, mm. and there in Stoke City. It, it, it's, yeah, but I think sometimes you kind of look in this division and you, you instantly you pick out, you know, your Boltons and your Portsmouths and your Derbys, whatever, and you kind of forget the fact Blackpool are a pretty decent sized club, too. Um, yeah. Came down in the summer um, after Mick McCarthy failed miserably to try and keep them up. Reappointed Neil Critchley as their boss. He left under a bit of a cloud first time around, of course, didn't he? Because he went to go and be a assistant manager to Stephen Gerrard at um, Aston Villa. Mm. Didn't work out for him there. He was sacked along with Gerard a few months later. Um, I think he then popped up at QPR to be their boss for a short while. Um, and now has turned up again at Blackpool. They seem to be quite accepting of him back there. I think there's a few grumbles, but first time round, he did a terrific job, didn't he, with Blackpool? Yeah, he did. Um, he came from uh, Liverpool, didn't he? He was yeah. there under 23s or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, manager. Um and yeah, he he seemed sort of like a decent championship manager. Yeah, he, he, he seemed to sort of sort himself out. He was a bit of a bizarre one, wasn't he? When he he said, "Oh, I want to go and test myself against the best coaches in the world." It's like, well, you kind of accept it if he goes to a bigger championship club, but mm. to go to like be assistant at the Premier League club, just it's a bizarre move. You don't see that very often. And Mick Wadsworth obviously did similar with us back in the nineties mm. to go to Norwich, but. You don't see very often a manager leaving his uh, job as a manager to be an assistant somewhere else. No, although I think, well, in days gone by, often if the manager got sat, the assistant would be caretaker for a while and yeah. maybe get the manager's job. But nowadays, the assistant, like you say, just gets sat with the manager, so it doesn't yeah. really happen anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, in terms of their summer recruitment, Mike, well, I think when we all looked at it, we thought some really good solid signings in there for them, mm. actually, wasn't there? I mean, Matthew Pennington from Shrewsbury stands out. You know, he was one of their key players. I think Morgan Feeney was actually brought in as a replacement for him yeah. at Shrewsbury Town. They really, really rate Pennington. I think he started out Everton, if I remember rightly. Mm. I think he was there for a while. Yeah. Um, but even looking for, you know, Aldi Morgan from Charlton's a, a pretty good midfielder. Carl Joseph was brought in as part of the deal that saw Jerry Yates leave to Swansea City. He's had a few injury issues, but he seems to be one they're very impressive as well. Yeah. Um, I, I remember doing a pre-season preview and we weren't quite sure how he was going to fare. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, seem, he seems to have, have been all right, despite uh, a few injuries, like you say. Ollie Norburn uh, came in from Peterborough United and he's already been made captain, which probably tells you how important he is to them, I think it's fair to say. Um, mm. When you look down through them, Killian Kwasi from sort of United's an unusual one. He, sort of shades of Toby Show Silver even going there. It's kind of like did Kwasi not play good? really well against us though? He did have a good game against us, and so did mm. Toby Show Silver, <laughs> didn't he? So, so there well, you go. You say that I'd have Toby Show Silver starting for us up front at the minute. <laughs> tell you what, I think he'd cause more problems than some of the other players who've played up front mm. for us this season. That's it's fair to say. Um, kind of avoiding the point here, Mike. I? The, the, the obvious signing that really stands out for them this summer, and one that I think oh, I'd love to have seen signed for us, Jordan Rhodes on loan from Huddersfield yeah. Town. Brought in almost as a necessity when Joseph got his injury when he first came in, but what a terrific signing. I mean, I think everyone expected him to be a very good signing for them, didn't they? Yeah, you know, he, he he's played most of his career in the Championship now, hasn't he? I mean, mm. obviously, he was. we played against him in League One a lot of times when he, he was at Huddersfield, but he was only about 19, 20 
back then. And mm. I think ever since then, he's just been playing in the championship. And he's not a striker that always depended on pace. He's just yeah. a proper fox in the box, knows where the goal is, and you know what you're going to get from him. I, I didn't realise this. I'm just looking here, right? In his career, he's gone for a, a combined set of transfer fees of... That's astonishing. I didn't realise it was this much. Um, 20, uh, 26 million, if I'm right. No. No, it's more than that. Yeah, 28 million. Mm. Sorry, I, I got this wrong again. Sorry. 27... I, I'm trying to count up 10, 9, and 8 here. 27 million pounds in total is what's been paid for him in transfer mm. fees. According, according to Soccer Base, I might be wrong on that. That's I, cause I knew he'd gone for big money to Blackburn from Huddersfield, but I didn't realise mm. he'd then gone big money to Middlesbrough mm. and then to Sheffield Wednesday as well. Mm. That's, that's quite astonishing, isn't it, really, when you, when you think of it? To get, to get a player like him on, on loan is... He's pretty good, isn't it? From back from Huddersfield, um, eleven goals in sixteen games tells you how good he is, though, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he's still got it, and like I say, he's one of them strikers. Some strikers, the age a bit, they lose the pace, but it's not really an issue for him. He just knows how to score goals. He's got a terrific header against uh, Northampton Town in that defeat last time out. Oh, header from pretty much the penalty spot, and the keeper had absolutely no chance. He put such power into it. He's one we really have to keep a close eye on this weekend. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Who else in their squad stands out to you? Well, another player that they got on loan um, was Jensen Weir from Brighton, who's mm. really highly rated. Yes, because he he was at Morecambe last season, and yeah. he scored ten goals from midfield in a poor team, which I think is very impressive. So I think he's one of those that you put him in a better team and yeah, see what he can do. He's, I think he's only played about 10 games this season, but yeah. I don't know if he's been injured. But he's uh, certainly one that I wouldn't have minded us going for, to be honest, in the summer. Yeah, yeah. I think looking at we've got to look at some of the better loanies in, in league um, two uh, this season, don't we, really? And try and punch yeah. a couple of them in January of any luck. Maybe they'll, as Adam mentioned, one of the recent pods, the lad Mellon from Morecambe is definitely one that we should mm. be taking a look at. Um, I mean, tack wise, they've got so many options, haven't they? Owen Dale was on loan at Pulse for last season, and he seems to be doing quite well for them. Karamoko Dembele from um, Brest. You know, you don't mm. get many players on loan from clubs like that, do you, in this, at this level? Mm. Uh, CJ Hamilton, though, is one I know that um, John mentioned. He was really impressive this season in terms of his pace. He, he's got an electrifying pace, hasn't he? So, yeah, we're not blessed with pace in our team that much. So, that, that might be a bit of a challenge for us, I think, facing up against yeah, him. Definitely. I'm not looking forward to that at all. Um, some of a little bits in terms of uh, obviously stats for this game. Uh, referee for the game is Lewis Smith from Lancashire. I don't know which part of Lancashire, I'm presuming not Blackpool. Um, it's his second season as an EFL referee. Um, he started in 2022, taking charge of 22 games so far this season, handing out 93 yellows and five red cards. And last season, he handed out 107 yellows and one red card in 34 games. Uh, the last United game we took charge of was December last year, the 1-1 draw with Sutton United, where Wheel and Guy were booked for United that day, and Ed Ryan Edmonton scored, funny enough. So, uh, so there you go. Um, head-to-head-wise, 47th meeting between the two sides. United have won 15, 10 a bit of draw, and 21 wins for the Seasiders. If you take away trophy games, Mike, our league record against Blackburn in the last 34 years is pretty appalling. Just three wins out of the last 14 games. Nine have been defeats and two draws. Um, Our last win at Bloomfield Road in the league was in September 1986. It was a 2-1 victory thanks to a brace from Mally Poskett, one of Dan's favourite players. So that's how long ago that was. 
Mm. It's, it's 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 quite a stretch, isn't it? I think that season we got relegated from Division Three to Division Four, uh, having scored only thirty nine goals in forty six games. Mm. So, yeah, I, re- I remember playing them away a few years ago. Now it was on a Boxing Day. I think it was mm. under Neil McDonald, and that nil? was one of the coldest games I've ever was been to. Was that a nil-nil? No, I, I think Carl Hawley scored one for us. I don't know if it was a draw or we lost like 2-1 or something. I've got the head-to-head um, up here. I'll, I'll double-check that while you're talking. I think that one was a 2-1 defeat. You're right, mm. yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, Hawley. Um, Peter Murphy scored an own goal that day. Because that was they, they had like a temporary away stand that was like made of wood. It was, yeah. yeah. Absolutely they've got a new, they've got a new temp they've got a new temporary stand now, haven't they? Yeah, slightly like different. So, yeah, I'm just some looking at the the lineup there. God, there's some interesting players for us that day. Um, yeah, so that that's where we are in terms of head to head. I think we mentioned last time how they lost two one against Northampton. A bit of a surprise that one. Other recent form, they've had a couple of batterings in there. Their clubs in the last six games. That Northampton game was preceded by a four nil win at Portsmouth and a four nil home win over Shrewsbury. So. When they're on form, they're capable of scoring goals, aren't they? That, that that's mm. a slight concern. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of any other bits you want to talk about in terms of that stuff before we do Dan's uh, play for both, Mike. I'm not sure which no, else I don't to cover. Think so. No. Yeah. Um, I was going to do a little quiz question for you there. Um, the last time we beat uh, Blackpool was in um, September 2006. It was a 2-0 victory at Brunson Park. Um, Carl Hawley scored in that one as well, I think. He did. He scored an 88-minute goal. Who yeah. scored the other goal for United that day? Was it Chris Lumsden? It was Chris Lumsden, indeed. He scored yeah. the other goal. We were we were fourth in the league at that point, and Blackpool mm. were 21st. We had a pretty good start to that season. Because um, I remember that I, I was in the Warwick for that game, and mm. Hawley's goal where he lobbed the keeper, it was one of them where you knew it was going in like a good 10 yards before it even hit the net. Yeah. It was just yeah. fantastic, yeah. Brilliant goal. Brilliant goal it was there. Yeah, absolutely right. Right, um, let's do the play for both then. So there is a long list to read out in a second of these. It, 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 this is probably the club with the longest list of players that play for both that I've found so far. But Dan has managed to pick one out for us. I did suggest one to him. I don't know if he's picked it. I hope he has because it's, it's a belter if he has. Um, so here's Dan's play for both for Carlisle and Blackpool. The played for both this time is a striker. And despite uh, Lee trying to push one on me, I've gone for a different one. Uh, no, it's not Keith Wallowin. It's uh, Andy Watson. Uh, born in Leeds, started at the fantastically named Yorkshire Amateur. And he, uh, he started his like proper career at uh, Harrogate Town. Uh, then he moved to Halifax a year later under Billy Eyre, who was... Well known manager around those times. Scored a few goals at uh, Halifax. Uh, and then he got a move to Swansea City. But uh, it didn't really happen for him at Swansea. And his next move in 1991 was to come up to Carlisle, where he actually had the best uh, scoring average of his career. I think in league games, he got something like 22 in 56. And we we were a terrible team. 91, 92, 92, 93. And Watson was one of the uh, the few shining lights in it. You know, he's, he scored goals in a terrible... We had some terrible players around that time. Uh, in 1993, he was then signed by uh, this weekend's opponent's Blackpool for... It was around 50,000 for memory, but 
he was reunited with uh, Billy Eyre, who he'd been with at Halifax. And apparently the money used to buy him from us was raised by a scheme that Blackpool did called Buy a Player Match, where they had a game against Rotherham and I think just over 6,000 attended and all the game money went to buy a player. So they uh, they bought Watson from us. Uh, he was there about three years, scored 40-odd goals, over 100 appearances. He actually scored his first goals for Blackpool in the derby against Preston, which obviously will have uh, adhered him to the fans. Uh, he then, Gary Megson, succeeded Sam Allardyce at Blackpool and uh, decided Watson was, you know, no longer needed, and he uh, moved to Walsall for two or three years before he disappeared at uh, Garforth Town and Doncaster around the time they were out of the league. But yeah, Andy Watson, uh, one of the few decent players in a, a poor couple of years. I did wonder if he would pick Keith Wilder when I tried to push him on him, but there you go. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll have big Keith as one of the ones in, in the near future. Maybe there for the return fixture at the end of the season. I'll, I'll make Dan pick it then. But um, but yeah, uh, Andy Watson. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there was a period. I might have made this up and some of our old fans will remind me because I, I wasn't following the Blues back then. But I'm sure there was a game where we had, because we had a play called Holmes playing for us around about that time, where we had a Holmes and Watson score for us in the same game. <laughs> I'm sure that happened. So anyone, please, please do give us a message on Twitter and, and just try and point us in the right direction for that one. Um, right, I'm going to do the full list here. This is going to take a while, this mic, so bear with me. We'll pick a couple out maybe to talk about a bit more. Tom Aldred, he had a spell there. Uh, Nick Anderton obviously was there. We think that's where we signed him from, wasn't it, I think? Um, Derek Armstrong uh, is a local lad. He only played a game, I think, one game for both us and Blackpool. Jack Asher, who's a you know big cult hero from the the eighties. Uh, Ian Bailey, Frank Parker, Chris Beach played there at Blackpool, as did Dennis Booth. Um, David Brightwell, I didn't realise he was there. To be fair, uh, Dave Burgess, Tony Kay, famously obviously went to Blackpool. That was the transfer that eventually led to uh, Jimmy Glass um, joining the Blues. Uh, Tim Carter, Russell Coughlin, Andy Cousins, Mark Cullen. Jamie Devitt didn't actually play a game for them, but he was signed for them. Uh, Peter Duffield, John Dernan, Ashley Easton, Rob Edwards, Wayne Entwistle, Ricardo Gabbiadini, Paul Girard played for them. Um, Danny Graham, Stuart Green, Phil Gulliver, Callum Guy, Wayne Harrison, Ian Hart. I think he, was Ian Hart there just before he signed for us, I think. Possibly. Um, I think he had a very short spell there, didn't he? It just didn't quite work out for him. I think so, yeah. I remember rightly, yeah. Um, Bob Hatton, uh, Bobby Hutchinson, Reese James, Richard Keogh, David Lee, Danny Livesey, uh, Chris Lumsden had a loan spell there from Sunderland early on his, in his career. Gary Medine, Kelvin Meller, Colin Methven, um, famously born in um, uh, in India. So one of the players actually played for, also he's born in India. Neil Moore, Ian Morris, Eric Nixon, uh, John O'Sullivan, Gordon Owen, Brad Potts. Andy Priest, I think he was quite a popular player for them, wasn't he? I think he had a decent spell there. Billy Rafferty, Paul Robinson, that's the one who was at Newcastle. Um, Barry Siddle, Paul Simpson, as we obviously mentioned before. A player that I'm sure both sets of fans would quite happily forget, Elias Sorensen. Um, <laughs> William Varty, not Will Varty, because there's two Will Vartys that played for Cali Knight. One played in the 1930s. So I don't know if they're actually related. I presume they must be, surely, because there can't be many Vartys about. William Varty in the 1930s. 
Keith Walwyn, as I mentioned before, Paul Warhurst, Andy Watson, Andy Welsh, Hayden White, Tom Wilcox, who famously, I think we said on this pod before, was born at sea. Um, so that we can, we can claim the sea as one of the places where a United players come from as well. <laughs> um, Jerry Yates and Francois Zoko had a spell there as well. So that, that is a hell of a long list, isn't it? Mm. Compared, I mean, some of the other clubs we struggled to get four or five together. So plenty to choose from then. Um, let's talk about United then, Mike. Uh, what do you do in terms of the... I, mean, I think I presume we're going to stick with 4 3 3 for now. It seems the obvious option. Part of me will be tempted to go back to 3 5 2 and maybe stick Mellish on the left side and Barkley on the right, with Lavella in the middle. Go with your wing backs and then try Garner Edmonton up front, maybe. If Garner's not fit, Plange and Edmonton up there and mix it up in that sense, possibly. With your midfield it's... three of Mox and McGeek and Gibson. It's tough, know. isn't it? I mean, I've felt this season we've looked better with four at the back. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't mind us doing that. Um, obviously, Robinson will have to come in at left back. Um, but I feel like, yeah, you might you might see more. Emmanuel might be better as a wing back, but sometimes we see more of Armour going forwards as a full back than as a wing back. Yeah. But then again, so, most of his best performances for us have been as a wing back, haven't they? When he's been able to get forward a bit more. So I think I, don't I, think, know. Robins, I, mean, I think Robinson's going to be best suited to that role as well, possibly. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I-, I wouldn't argue with four at the back um, and McGeek, Moxon, sort of sitting more. Uh, might be a game for Alfie McCalmont, I think, um, mm. to play midfield as well, chase things down a bit, not give him a lot of time on the ball. Um, Would you much rather have Melish in defence then, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's a, there's a few options in there potentially, isn't there? You know, we've got a few players coming. Hopefully Jack Ellis will be fit by now as well, potentially to be on the bench as another option. So we don't have to put youth players in there. So mm. that that's what we're kind of hoping for. Um, we're just hoping Joe Garner's fit because we really need him to be fit for this one, don't we? Mm. There's been no real talk of it. We're recording, I think, before Simmons done his press conference. It might be out by the time we put this out. But, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. The runner games coming after this, though, Mike, absolutely huge, aren't they, when you look at it? Six mm. games where, take away the Wigan game, maybe, plenty of opportunities to get points, surely. Well, to be honest, the three games before the Wigan game, yeah, it's, it sounds mad the position we're in. We should be aiming for nine points. I think seven, I'd be happy with that. Oh, I'd be happy with seven, but I mean, on a game-to-game basis, one by one, we should be aiming for three points in, in all three of them. Key thing for me in looking at those is do not lose to Cheltenham and do not lose to Fleetwood. They're the mm. two that stand out because they're around us and we need to make sure they, they can't mm. get any points to potentially pull away from us. Mm. And that's 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 the key thing for me with those two. And obviously, like I said, the rest, it's just see what happens. Um, prediction time. Um Match prediction score-wise, uh, I'm still in the lead on eight. Dad on seven, and you've got two points now, Mike. None of us yeah. predicted Luke Planche to score. <laughs> Honourable mention is you said to Adam, who did predict Lavelle to score. Unfortunately, not in the right net, so yeah. it doesn't count, sadly, for him. What are you going for for this one? Um, well, I still haven't predicted a defeat this season, and I'm, I'm not going to change now. So I'll go for a one-all draw, and I'll go for Sam Lavelle to score in the right net this time. I think, I wonder, should I take one for the team here and go for a, a defeat? 
No, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to go for a 2 1 win. <laughs> I'm going to go 2 1 win uh, with goals from Owen Moxon against the team that tried to sign him in the summer. And I'll go on Joe Garner to get the winner and properly wind up the home fans as a result. So there you go. 2 1 win. I'm going to go for. Um, let's hear what Dan has to say for this one. Well, everybody got the uh, Reading game spectacularly wrong. <laughs> no surprise. Uh, but I'm I'm feeling a little bit of uh, Bolton vibes over a trip to the seaside. So I'm going to go for Blackpool 1, Carlisle 3. And I'm going to go for goals from Jordan Gibson, Sam Lavelle and Ryan Edmondson. Quite interesting goal scorers there. I should say Sam Lavelle's playing against his hometown club in this game. He's mm-hmm. a Blackpool lad. Never played for them. But he's from Blackpool, so there you go. Uh, right, X-Files section to finish things off. Um, well, let's talk first about that one we mentioned before, the Barnsley-Wickham game. Sam Colsgrove scored the only goal of this game. And what a bizarre goal it was, wasn't it, Mike? Yeah, for me, it's it's a goal, though. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, basically, the keeper was time-wasting, wasn't he? And then... he, was doing, he basically did that thing where the ref gave a drop ball for, with, with the keeper... Dropped the ball, it fell on the floor, and the keeper just waited and waited for Cosgrove. This was in the 91st minute or 92nd minute, and waited basically for the strike to come down so he could kill a bit more time. And he did that thing when he grabbed it at the very last minute. Cosgrove nudges into him. Now, it's one of those ones I think if the ref gives it, you go, oh, it's soft. Well, he did nudge into him, fair enough. But if he doesn't give it, you go, well, you know, he's taken the mick there and he's gone down far too soft and he's lost the ball. It's his own fault. So I think either way the decision's given, I don't there, see a problem with it. There was way. contact. I actually think calling it a nudge is a bit harsh. Like, mm. I wouldn't even call it a nudge. There was contact. But apparently you cannot award a penalty for a player diving in their own penalty area. <laughs> you can only play on. And to be honest, it was a dive. You know, the contact was not enough to make the keeper go down. So, keeper goes down and leaves the ball, and Cosgrove just taps it into the empty net. Yeah, Cosgrove does the right thing. You you play to the whistle, you know, put the ball in the back of the net and and see what happens. Luke Blanche wouldn't have done. Luke Blanche. No, (laughs) no. But, um, but yeah, interestingly, the... um, So, so essentially, he fell over and the ball just fell from his grasp, didn't it, really? He was holding onto it tight and just dropped it for some reason. It was Mm -hmm. just bizarre. So, yeah, fair play to Sam. That's a goal for him for Barnsley and a 1-0 win for them over Wickham. Andy Cook scored from the penalty spot for Bradford City in their 3-0 win at Forest Green Rovers. George Glendon also scored a penalty for Chester in their 1-1 draw at Rush Hall Olympic. I mean, it must be depressing to be a Chester fan going to a, a club like Rush Hall Olympic when you were mm. in the league not that long ago. Uh, Stephen Rigg and David Simonson both scored for Workington in their, let's say, eventful 4-4 draw with Marine. I had uh, Johnny, who's a listener to the show, and who's contributed a few six-second reviews. He came around to my house to watch the Reading game. We were both sort of half following the, res- the results and scores from that game, thinking to ourselves, bloody hell, like, we could have gone to watch that tonight <laughs> instead and seen eight goals instead of this dross. Um, Manny Manpala also scored for Marine that game, I should say. Um, into the weekend, George Tanner put up the ball in his own net for Bristol City in their 2-1 home defeat to Norwich City. Ryan Bowman scored a hat-trick for... Shrewsbury Town in their 3-2 win over not counting the FA Cup. Have you seen this hat-trick there, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I thought our defender was bad against Reading, but my God. I I, think... It's borderline match-fixing some of the yeah. <laughs> defending there. He obviously isn't match-fixing, he's just crap defending, but 
it was hilarious to see how bad they, they defended it. It was not good at all. Um, Amari Patrick, he was on the score sheet for Sutton United in their comfortable 3-0 win over Horsham in the FA Cup. Paddy Madden, he scored for Stockport County in their 2-2 draw Aldershot in the FA Cup as well. And Olafelo Olamola scored for Bromley in their 1-0 home win over Rochelle. He's had a really good start to life, Bromley, hasn't he? Mm. I think he recovered from his injuries. He's doing really well there. Uh, into the midweek just gone. Um, George Glendon, he netted a penalty for the second successive game to help Chester get a 1-0 win over Brackley Town. And Reggie Lamb got his first goal for Braintree Town since signing for them in their 1-1 draw with Hampton and Richmond. And finally, just two other little bits of news. Um, Nick Bollardo, he's joined Morpeth Town after leaving Stockport County. He joined like, as a development player, hadn't he, at Stockport? And from what I could see of his comments, having signed for um, Morpeth, he just wasn't very happy, was he? I think he wasn't mm. enjoying it. And he's a North East lad, so I think it's probably worked out quite well for him to, to go there. And uh, uh, Skelmersdale United manager Pascal Chimbonda has been given a five-match stadium ban for improper conduct. I'd love so, to see this, whatever this improper conduct is, that gets like, you a five-match ban. A stadium ban, not even like a five-match, you know, yeah. you can sit in the stands one. It's five, I mean, it's difficult in non-league, isn't it? Because you're so close to the pitch. Yeah. You probably have to sometimes. Um but yeah, interesting start to life for him at uh, Skem, isn't it? I think it's fair to say. Mm. Uh, and that's it, Mike. That, that's over for another episode. Um, you're not going to be at the game this weekend, are you? You're, you're working. Um, yeah. But you may well be driving around the Blackpool area. You don't know yet, so that, that's yeah, a strain for you. Mm. But um, yeah, 2,000 Blues fans going down. Should be a fantastic atmosphere. And just, just praying they can put a performance on for the Blues, aren't we, really? Yeah. That's what we want. Uh, we'll be back next week with a review of the Blackpool game and a look ahead to the Northampton game, which, as we said before, looks like a huge game. You're going to be at that one, aren't you? We're going up on the train for that, so that should be quite yeah. a good one. Um, but yeah, other than that, not much else to say other than uh, thanks everyone for listening and up the Blues. Up the Blues. Stop listening, Regan. There's no bonus content this week.